Welcome back to the SALT podcast, where our vision is to create and prepare disciples ready to influence the world. I'm one of your hosts. My name's Jaden. What's well, crack and guys? My name's Toby, and we have an extra special guest with us this week. Our special guest, Pastor Terry Johnson. How are you going? Hello, everybody. I'm doing very, very well. Thank you. And hope that everybody's doing well in this COVID-19 crisis that we have. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a, it's a crazy world we live in. Hey, we want to thank you so much for, for joining us on the podcast today, Pastor Terry. We're going to start just to get to know you a little bit before we jump into our topic, which is leadership today. So um, first up, tell us about your family, wife, kids, pets, etc. Yeah, let me let me say that I've been married to the same woman for 28 years now. <laughs> well, and well done. dated her for four and a half years at university before we actually got married. She ended up going to Spain. Her name is Kimberly. So she went to Spain to Segundo and spent a year uh, learning Spanish. And so wow. she, she uh, graduated a year later than I did, even though we started at the same time in 1988 at Southwestern Adventist University in Texas. So uh, she's an American. I'm a Canadian born to an Icelandic mother and a Mauritian father. And this is the ninth country in which I have lived and become a permanent <laughs> resident or citizen. So I currently wow, have what a mix. Four, uh, four different passports and citizenship uh, and, and then two permanent residents in two other countries. And I'm Aussie as and uh, have two <laughs> children in the sense that my, um, my daughter, Kirsten, was born in uh, Texas and my son, Alec, was born in Auckland and uh, she's 21 and he's 16. Fantastic. That's, that's incredible. You've been to so many different places and like not just gone to visit on a holiday work because mm. I think you ask most people, do you like traveling? Do you like visiting new countries? They go, oh, yes, I've been to all these different countries, but you've really been and you've planted yourself into these countries and you've really made a life. So that must have been fascinating. Uh, um, absolutely. Absolutely. My father was a minister and, and my mother uh, worked in, in publishing in different areas and then also worked as women's ministries director for the South Pacific Division. And so we we moved all over the place. And um, in my family, the, the Mauritian side of my family, uh, my great-grandfather was one of the first lay pastors in Mauritius after the initial missionaries came and shared the gospel in accordance with the Adventist identity in 1917 during World War I. And uh, then my grandfather became the first um, native pastor and my father and uncle and myself. So we're actually four generations of ministers on that side. And there's wow. two generations on my mom's side. Wow, that's fantastic. That's actually really cool. The more you get to know, that's that's incredible. So tell us about some hobbies that you have. Maybe traveling yeah. might not be one of them, or maybe it is, but what <laughs> other specific hobbies do you have? Yeah, collecting passports is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> a, very, a very expensive hobby, that one. Uh, now, look, I, I've got a couple of hobbies that I really enjoy. The first and probably my my most recent hobby is um, is four-wheel driving. I've been four-wheel driving since about 2009. I have an old Land Cruiser, a 1996 Land Cruiser with all the mod comms on it, two-inch lift, three-inch exhaust, the drawers in the back, the winch on the front, the hose. We've done the Canning Stock route. We've done uh, into Uluru from, a, from the western side of the country. Thousands of Ks. The vehicle has got 521,000 on it. Oh, wow. I paid uh, $24,000 for it, with, uh, and then I've added a little bit to it. And it's worth, at the moment, uh, even though it's, what, 24 years old, it's worth $44,000. Whoa. So it's, uh, you've done you know, well with that. you got to buy the right car. <laughs> <laughs> it, it took me a year to look for that car and, uh, and find it and got a good price from somebody I knew. Uh, so I'm the third owner of the vehicle, and that thing has seen all of Australia. 
and most of the deserts of Australia as well. So that's one. And the second one that I have is uh, I love European football. And in particular, I'm a huge supporter of the Liverpool Football Club and have been since the age of 10 when I lived in England for a year. <laughs> oh, very nice. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Um, hey, we're going to jump into the meat of what we're going to be talking about today, which is leadership. Mm. Um, when you look around the world at the moment, um, we don't want to get political, but you look at your different leaders right around the world and you've got a, such a broad spectrum of what a leader should look like that it becomes really yeah. confusing. And if you even look into our own denomination, into the Seventh-day Adventist Church, there's a broad range of um, leaders from their, from their beliefs. And so um, we're really excited to dig into this. Um, and I guess it's, it's awesome um, to be able to talk to you. You've lived in so many different cultures and immersed yourself in that, that you'll understand what it takes to be a leader in different places. Um, so let's define what that is to begin with. What, what is leadership? Well, that's a very good question. And I, I think a very simple answer to what is leadership is an individual who is willing to stand up and be held accountable for the decisions that he leads other people or she leads mm. other people into. And I think that's probably the most basic thing. Um, and along with that is if you stand up and make a decision and nobody's following you, then you're not a leader. Uh, you're mm. only a leader if people actually look and say, yep, we think that's actually a good idea and we are happy to follow you. So a leader must have vision. A leader must have um, a humility of heart but in particular, a leader has to have the ability to stand up and say, follow me, boys, follow me, girls. This is where we're headed, and this is why we're headed in that direction. Without that ability, it becomes quite impossible. And frankly, it actually takes a miracle. And maybe, mm. maybe that's one of the things that we need to be focusing on more is that quite often, you know, whether or not leadership is nature or nurture, uh, a lot of times people actually follow a leader because they believe that that leader has the best answer. Mm. Uh, but when you're looking at the Old Testament in particular, it seems that God chose people and then made them the leader because he gave them uh, information or responsibility that they weren't prepared for. You know, mm -hmm. Moses certainly wouldn't be a person that we would look to being a leader today, and yet he led a people out of Egypt. Yeah. Uh, and you look at Ezekiel, Ezekiel should not have been a leader, but he was a prophet, and he became a prophet because God said, look, mate, I want you to lie on your side for 290 days and make sure that when you're done with that, you lie on your other side for another 90 days. And <laughs> And thus saith the Lord. And so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think leadership is is uh, varied. It can be large. It can be small. It can be one person uh, having an, an influence on one other person. Or it can be an individual like the Prime Minister of Australia having influence over 25 million people, whether they like it or not. Mm. Mm, that's amazing. Um, you touched on it briefly in that the nature versus nurture. Is leadership taught or is it just something that you're gifted with? Yeah, look, that's, that's, I think, also a very good question. I think it's probably a little bit of both. I, um, I look at my own history, and I realize that I have a very godly Levitical history in the sense that I have a, a grandfather, a great-grandfather, and a father, all of whom have been ministers, uh, two of whom have been conference secretaries and conference presidents. And, and uh, neither of them really enjoyed the job. My grandfather did not enjoy being a conference secretary. Secretary, he'd much rather be a pastor. My dad was a mission uh, president in New Caledonia, hated it. You know, he, he was not an administrator by any, uh, any stretch of the imagination. And I became a conference president seven years ago. Love it. You know, every day is a joy. <laughs> every day is a pain in the neck as well. You know, uh, every day is a challenge. 
So I think that there is a little bit of nature in the sense that uh, you have genes that are passed down between the third and fourth generation that are both good and bad. Mm. And I think it's also nurture, but it's, it's, um, it's not nurture in terms of just your experience. It's nurture in terms of the connection that you have with God. Mm. The more you actually um, realize that leadership is not as a result of your charisma, not as a result of your own intellectual ability or preaching ability, the more you recognize that it's really all about Jesus. And any time that you step into the place of where Jesus should be given the full acknowledgement of doing something, you actually put yourself in Satan's place as a leader in a, in a Christian environment. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, that's so true. That's actually such an interesting uh, view to take it. That's, that's incredible. So from that then, um, can you touch on what are some qualities that would make a good leader as opposed to maybe a bad leader? Yeah, look, I, there's, there's two individuals that I really enjoy listening to, and, and um, both of them are dead now. And the first one is, is uh, Ravi Zacharias, who died mm. just last week. Mm. And Ravi had a, a sermon back in 1983 or 1984 uh, that you can get on YouTube. I can't remember the title of the sermon but if you look for Acts chapter 17, verse 16 to 34, um, as part of your search for him, you'll be able to find the sermon. Mm. And in that sermon, he actually talks about three different points that I think are really important for any leader to connect with. Uh, the first is that you have to be able to hear the voice of those who need, so of people who need in all parts of the world. So whether they're looking for the gospel or they're looking for uh, um, you know, their needs to be taken care of. You've got to be able to hear their voice and listen to it very carefully. And he was using the story of Paul coming into Mars Hill and being able to have a conversation not only with the common uh, speaking Greek person who spoke, spoke the Koinia Greek, but also with the highbrow Greek person uh, who was sitting down and talking about philosophy and arguing the philosophical merits of one decision over another. And he was able to actually convert a number of them. And it was because he was listening to the voice of their needs and he was able to hear and then just use that to share exactly what they were looking for. Uh, I think that's an important commodity, being able to listen. A leader is only as good as their ability to listen to the voices of the people around them who are sharing with them what they need to be aware of. The, the second thing is there has to be this pressure in your, your soul, right? The burning uh, in your soul. Um, for Ravi, it was the burning of the word of God in his heart. Um, there's this gut sensation. And I would think, um, and I would believe, I should say, that uh, it's exactly the same when it comes to leadership. You know, as a pastor, all of us are called to ministry, and therefore we have a burning in our heart to share the good news of the grace of Jesus by faith and sanctification, justification, and, and the coming glory kingdom. And for us as Adventists within the context of Revelation 14 and the three angels' messages and Revelation 18 and coming out of her, my people, in grace, right? That has mm. to be a burning part of what's leading us. And secondary to that, for a period of time, it could be four years, it could be 10 years, uh, you are called to be a leader of other pastors. And when you're a leader of other pastors and churches, there's also got to be that burning sensation inside of you that says, yes, God is calling me in this, in this direction for a period of time and only for a period of time. 
before I get to go back to working in the local church and doing what I was mm. originally called to do. So there's that sense, you know, that knowledge. I, I recall when I was, um, when I was first asked to be a conference president in June of 2013, uh, in Western Australia. I didn't become conference president until September at the session, but I was mm. nominated on the 5th of June. For the next three months, um, probably had the most anxiety that I've ever had in my adult life. You know, wow. I, I've been wow. a minister since I was 22. So this is my 28th, the starting of my 29th year as a pastor. And what was so different? Yeah. It, you know, it, was, the, it was the responsibility. It was mm. the fact that we were looking and saying, you know, as a youth director, I could make any kind of comment that I wanted. Nobody cared. Uh, mm. The youth cared, and we had a great time, you know, but I could get into a church. I could say, you know, these, this, this is the way I look at it. And everybody listens. They go, yeah, well done. But when the president stands up and says exactly the same thing, oh, boy, there is a mm. lot more riding on what the president has to say because he's the leader. Mm. And it's, not, uh, it's because of the, the role. It's because of the responsibility of the role and the acknowledgement that uh, God has placed that person in that role for a period of time to do what God has called them to do. And so, you know, there's that sense of the pressure in your gut. And I've, um, there's a, there's a chapter in desire of ages, chapter 19, it's a very short, sorry, chapter 18, it's a very short chapter called he must increase and I must decrease. It's only five pages in length. And, mm -hmm. and there is a story of John and how John recognized that he had to actually decrease so that Jesus could increase and Ellen White actually makes, uh, makes the statement that uh, if more of us in church work, whether it's as an elder or as a deacon, you know, through the nominating process that happens at the local church, which is exactly the same thing that happens at the conference and the division and the union, it is replicated all the way through our system so that it's democratically engaged. If that were to occur where we would say, you know what, I've been an elder for enough years, let me allow uh, a Jaden to become an elder of the local church and allow them to, to step up and I'm supporting them without feeling like I've been dissed, you know, mm. uh, that would make such an impact and would follow through with what uh, John chapter 17 and Jesus's prayer before he dies, where he talks about the unity that we have of, of, uh, of knowing how we love one another and the world will then see the connection that we have with, with God. So that's number two. And number three for me is, uh, the understanding of the bridging of the gap of communicating within the framework of, uh, of who we are, the power and the message of Jesus. And I think that as hmm. leaders, our responsibility is to resource local churches and ministers and teachers, because we look at teachers as being exactly the same as pastors, hmm. uh, nurses, you know, people that are doing ministry, the conference's responsibility is to resource them with as much as we can so that they can communicate in their framework the power and person of who Jesus is. Mm. You got those three things in leadership and uh, God can use you because you realize it's not about you. It's always about him. As much as Satan keeps reminding you on a daily basis that it's about you. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's incredible. So let's, we've talked about a good leader. What's the difference between someone who is a strong leader and someone who's not, not so, maybe a weak leader? What's the difference between the two? Yeah, look, I, I'll tell you that a strong leader is always willing to say, I was wrong, mm. uh, and to ask mm. for forgiveness and to apologize. Wow. A strong leader recognizes that when they say something, people's lives are affected. Uh, when I make a decision as a chairman of the conference executive, um, people's lives are affected. You know, sometimes people lose their jobs. Sometimes 
uh, people are forced out of their jobs. And where, whereas I may actually not agree with the decision that the executive committee has made, the constitution tells me that I am actually the, the voice of that executive and mm-hmm. I have to put aside my own personal feelings, my own personal belief if I was unable to influence the board in a particular direction and actually have to go and uh, meet out what they're expecting me to do. And if I choose not to do that, then I have to resign as a conference uh, president. Mm-hmm. So the wow, only that sounds like such a heavy burden to, yeah. to carry. Well, yeah, Toby, it, it really is. It's a it's a challenge. And there are times where, you know, because you're the voice of the of the executive and the board of directors, where you actually have to stand and take the fiery arrows, uh, even though it wasn't your decision. <laughs> <laughs> and you're looking at that and you're just thinking, oh, man, this hurts. Uh, because, you, you know, you, you have to stand for, for what the board has, uh, has decided. And hopefully it's not going against your conscience. So... Mm-hmm. If you have a conscience issue, then you can resign. Uh, but most of the decisions that I disagree with normally are about timing or about um, you know the end product that I'm not particularly fond of, and they're not a they're not a theological or a moral decision. They're more along the lines of, hey, I just don't want to go and have this conversation at this time because it's going to be too painful. Yeah. Wow. True. So, would you in saying that, um, would am I hearing that? I guess uh, a weaker leader um, can sometimes be misconstrued or seem or be perceived as being a strong leader because they might stand up against what they like, what the, what the board is saying. Right. So they've, they've agreed and they're like, okay, we're part of this team. We're going to make a decision together. And now as part of this team, you're a representative on this, on this board. Um, But then if you go out and stand against that, that, would take, I guess, some leadership qualities, but would that be a weak leader then that might have just have a strong voice? Yes, I, I think so. I think that uh, a strong leader is somebody who's willing to take the hard knocks and to stand firm without being a reed that's being blown backwards and forward, right? So you, you've got to believe what you believe in. You've got to have the foundation of what you believe in and be willing to stand on that and take the knocks, but all the time being humble enough to know that you could be absolutely diametrically opposed to the word of God and you just didn't know it. Hmm. So uh, part of being, part of being a leader is listening carefully to wise counselors. And I think that the best thing that a leader can do is to ensure that they don't have yes men and women on their boards or in their teams, Uh, men and women who are willing to actually come to me and say, Terry, you're being an idiot and here's why. And let me share with you why and, and, and look at them and say, okay, you know, that hurt. Uh, and, and I'm actually quite angry with you at the moment. I'm going to have to just go away, calm down, work it through, and then I'll come back to you and, and give that kind of space to the people that you're working with in a team so that they can have those kind of very difficult conversations. Weak leaders don't have those individuals around them. Weak leaders have people who are syncophants, who will always tell them that they're doing a great job. They're the best, most amazing person that you've ever seen. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, you can take from that any kind of political statement you'd like. But <laughs> from my perspective, you know, you, you're looking for strong leaders who are willing to listen to the other side uh, and be, uh, be challenged on their perspective, make a decision, move forward, knowing the consequences of the pros and the cons, because somebody has to make a decision at some point. Mm-hmm. Wow. Absolutely. That, that, that is not something that sounds easy. <laughs> no. 
It sounds, you know, it's and, really easy to say, but. <laughs> let me tell you a story, Jaden. Um, this is going to, it's going to share with you a little bit about who I am and some of the stupidity of who I am. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, when I was first a graduate out of Southwestern Adventist University uh, in 1992, I became a young pastor in the Texas conference. And my first ministerial meeting was at Nameless Valley Ranch in September of that year, which is the big camp of, uh, of the conference, <laughs> the youth camp. And the conference president stood up and, and started speaking, Elder Woods. And as he was speaking, I was sitting in the back row next to two old ministers, Dr. Norm Yeager and Dr. Thompson. Both of them had uh, 35, 40 years of ministry, and they were taking me under their wing as the newbie. And uh, they said to me, so Terry, you know, as you're looking at your future, where, where would you like to be? Uh, and I looked at them, <laughs> I looked at the president, I said, I want to be him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they laughed and then they looked at me and said you're an idiot and we've got to work with you <laughs> what about Matthew chapter 7 you know you can't call me Raka <laughs> but, uh, they, they were very clear on the fact that um, I did not know what was best for me hmm. and when, when 2013 came and that call came and I had that three months of, of truly uh, anxious uh, moments you know I was in prayer a lot during that three month period of time before, before the, the call became official I had a conversation with one of those two men, Dr. Norm Yeager, um, and he was my homiletics teacher at, at, uh, at Southwestern. And he, um, I sent him an email just saying, hey, Norm, just letting you know that uh, uh, some crazy committee has decided that they want to make me a president. What do you think? And he looked at me and said, do you remember that conversation back in 1992? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah, I do. And he said, well, do you feel that you're ready and want to be that at this time? And I said, no, I'm having the greatest amount of anxiety that, uh, that you could possibly uh, imagine. And he said, well, then I think you're ready. And wow. at that point, oh. it really just kind of calmed me. And it was one of those moments where you start to realize, yeah, you need to have the wise people in your life who mm. are willing to tell you the truth and to hold you accountable at all times. Mm. Well, wow, that's incredible. Well, being, being a leader... It sounds like for so long, it sounds like you have like marvelous stories to tell. Um, what's one of just one of the biggest lessons that you've learned about leadership? Yeah, look, um, I often speak out of turn and it's, <laughs> it's part of my character. Um, I tend to jump in with both feet and then uh, pull them out of my mouth later. <laughs> so that's probably the biggest lesson that I've had to learn is to find a way to, to realize that when I say something, people take notice, even though I'm not taking notice of myself. Wow. I, I'm a larrikin and therefore I jump in, I have a good time, but I've had to actually curb that part of myself um, so that people can trust that when they speak to me, I'm not going to share the story out of turn. I'll share mm. it only give me the right to share it. Uh, and that has been a very hard lesson to learn with many people who have been hurt. Uh, and I've had to go and apologize to them directly. And each one who has come to me to tell me that I hurt them with something that I said, um, I've had to go. And when I say had to go, I mean that. You know, it's not natural to go and say, I'm sorry to somebody else. It is actually a challenge. Mm. And um, it sometimes takes me a few days to work it through and to decide whether or not it's legitimate for them to be concerned about what I may have said in jest or what I may have said as a passing remark. Uh, and realizing that that is far more painful coming from the president than coming from the youth director or from the pastor. Mm. Mm. Mm, that's really interesting. Um, 
What What's the biggest mistake that you see people make, especially, um, I guess, when you're new to leadership? Is there a common mistake that you see people do over and over again? So I guess sort of a two-part question. What's the biggest mistake um, or is there a common mistake that you see people make when they're new to leadership? Yes, um, two of them. The first is that uh, they jump in without recognizing the culture and the context of the mm. team that they're leading. Mm. So they come in and they come in as the big boss. They come in with uh, the attitude that I've got the answers. I know where we're going. All you have to do is hitch up your wagon to my horses and we're going to all go in the right direction. That um, can work for a short period of time. But after the short period of time, uh, the team gets to know who you are. They know your strengths. They know your weaknesses. And they're not too sure that they want to hitch up their wagon to your horses. So that's a very big mistake that a lot of uh, pastors, a lot Mm -hmm. of leaders, a lot of teachers uh, make when they jump into the situation. Uh, The corollary to that is that if they come in quietly, then that's also a mistake. You're actually the leader. And so Mm -hmm. as a leader, you come in, you take You take the skills that you have, you put them into practice straight away, and you look around to see what's going on around you, and you listen. You do a lot of listening. You Mm. bring in your team one at a time. You know, if if you're going to a local church as a pastor, you uh, first thing you'll do is you will actually uh, meet and greet the head elder and have the head elder tell you all of the stories of the church going back 100 years. Uh, you know, why this church member hates that church member, and who had the affair with that, and how did the church not deal with it, and why they didn't like the last pastor, and so on and so forth. And then you listen to the other elders without divulging the fact that you've heard from the head elder, and you hear their stories, and you compare notes, and you write them down, and you start thinking, okay, Lord, this is, the hist- this is where I'm at. Uh, and you take six months to visit all of your church members, all of the visitors, preaching just good gospel-centered sermons. And at the end of the six months, you've got a clear understanding of who your church is, Mm. where they need to go. And that's when you start giving the vision. And that's when you start giving clarity. Uh, And by that time, they trust you. They believe that you are a Seventh-day Adventist minister, Ellen White believing prophet. Uh, (laughs) Clarity on the identification of the beliefs that we have and the foundation of our faith. Mm. And once they believe that, most of the conspiracies that they hear, they'll put aside. Mm-hmm. If they're not sure of, your, of who you are as an Adventist minister, they will hold you in contempt and they will make life a living hell for you. And that <laughs> is a, a real problem when ministers jump in without having listened to who their church is and what the church really needs. That's probably the biggest mistake uh, that I've seen. The other mistakes are um, simply trying to ram through your vision when the church board is not ready to accept your vision. Mm. Your vision is the vision that God has given you. Unless you're a prophet, it's not always what the church needs. And you have to find a way to use your skills and your abilities and lead the church to uh, finding what their skills and abilities are and and work together. You know, I mean, when you're looking at Stephen COVID and and the seven habits of highly effective people, uh, the first one is to be proactive. You know, the idea is to be proactive. So don't be reactive. Don't wait until the proverbial hits the fan. Mm. You go and deal with the situation and don't run away. Because if you run away, it just gets worse and worse and worse. You know, and, and each one of you will feel it. Like when I'm under tension in my chest, I start to feel the constriction and, and it's hard for me to actually breathe. And I know then that um, I'm actually under stress and I'm under stress because of the situation that I find myself in. And that means one or two things. Either my body is telling me to run, 
to stand in place and allow <laughs> things to happen or to fight aggressively. And, and the challenge is to actually not run and not fight aggressively, mm. uh, not to stand in place, but it's also not to have the extremes of those other two. You've got to know, I mean, it's, it's like the great Kenny Rogers song, you know, you've got to know when to hold them. You've got to know when you fold them. You've got to know when to walk away. You got, you got to know when to run. Mm. Uh, talk about a gambling man. I'm not a gambling man at all, but this, that whole idea is uh, be proactive. And when you're proactive, you know where you're going. And when you know where you're going, you can actually synergize with your church members and help them on the same journey. Mm. Mm. Well, that's actually incredible. That's, that's really good. So speaking into some of the, um, I guess, mistakes or uh, common mistakes that you see in leadership, um, what's some advice that you would give to someone who's entering into leadership? Now, this could be to, to um, people that are studying, going into, like, into work into, as teachers or pastors or, or any sort of field or I guess any kind of leadership role. What is some, some easy advice that we can take on and we can listen to and we can, we can observe in our lives? Yeah. Um, some simple ones. First, be yourself. Don't try to be somebody else. <laughs> when I became president in Western Australia, you know, everybody knew me as a youth director because I'd been the youth director for seven years. And so they expected uh, that the youth director was going to put on the tie. And, and sure enough, for three months, I put on the tie. And then by mm-hmm. the end of three months, I was like, no, no, this is just not going to work for me. You know? <laughs> it's just not going to work. I'd imagine so, it gets fairly hot over there. <laughs> it does get fairly hot. Uh, but it's just the fact that I'm, I'm not a very big fan of ties. However, mm. in coming to Sydney, Sydney is a completely different conference with a completely different uh, outlook on things. It's not good or bad. It's just different. And here in Sydney, I wear a jacket and a tie more often than I ever have in my entire 28 years of being a pastor. And it's because in this environment, I get to meet with people from parliament. I get to meet with people who are religious leaders and they're all in their vestments. And if I was to come in my shirt without the tie, without a jacket, like I'm dressed today, they wouldn't give me the time of day to have the conversation. Now, Mm. if I was John the Baptist, fine, but I'm not John the Baptist. (laughs) And therefore, instead of uh, bringing God's name into disrepute, I wear what uh, is acceptable. And in wearing what's acceptable, I then am allowed to actually have a conversation. And it takes time to build up those relationships. So, for example, uh, in New South Wales, we have something called the Civil Chaplaincy Association Committee, which is a group of 16 different denominations who are funded by the New South Wales government for chaplaincy in corrective services and in hospital services. So, Toby, this is something that you may be interested in. Mm, yeah, my ears poked it right up. <laughs> they, they are influential in, um, in granting allocations of funding to different denominations to provide chaplaincy and corrective services and so on. Michael Worker, who was the president before me, um, became very actively involved. And as a result, we have one pastor who is a chaplain uh, working for Long Bay through the CCAC. And because of what he did, I was able to come in and they had accepted the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And as a result, I have now been elected the secretary of the CCAC, and wow. my responsibility is to be uh, to, to take all the minutes and to make all make sure that all the actions are done appropriately for sixteen different denominations: uh, wow. Buddhist, Muslim, Roman Catholic, Anglican, and it's given me the opportunity to try and get other conferences in New South Wales, North and South, to consider um, putting in applications. Uh, for funding for uh, chaplaincy in correctional facilities. And we're doing one right now for the juvenile correction 
Correctional Facility down in Orana uh, in South New South Wales because of that, um, that opportunity. But that opportunity would not have been available if it wasn't for Michael's hard work. And I think mm. this is another principle of ministry and leadership that are incredibly important. You have been brought into a position for a time. That time is not for a lifetime. That time is for a short time. And then God actually brings in the next person with their set of skills to build upon what you've been able to put down. And once they build upon that, then the next person comes. Mm-hmm. And that's why John the Baptist is called, you know, there's that wonderful contemporary music, Prepare You the Way by Michael W. Smith, where, where he actually is talking about John the Baptist, who prepared the way for Jesus. And John never got to see Jesus doing all of his amazing miracles because he was thrown into prison by Herod, who never planned on killing him until he got drunk and in his drunkenness fell into lust with Salome, who, who Ellen White says was a voluptuous, beautiful woman. <laughs> you got to go find that in Desire of Ages. I read it down, I was like, what? <laughs> so uh, very clearly a, a beautiful woman, and, and he ended up cutting John's head off, and John never got to see Jesus as the Messiah other than having seen the light of the dove on his on his head mm. and, and hearing mm. the voice of God calling, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And in that little passage, by the way, as an aside, as a pastor, in that little passage where it says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, Ellen White actually tells us that when God said those words, he wasn't just grasping Jesus to his chest and hugging him and saying, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. He was saying it for every single human being in humanity, because Jesus wow. represented humanity as everyone. So that meant wow. Jaden, you know, Jaden, I'm clasping you to my chest as a son in whom I'm well pleased. Toby, I'm grasping you to my chest as a son in whom I'm well pleased. And I tell you what, that starts to make a lot of joy resonate in your heart, even in the worst of days. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's amazing. Hey, look, I think that's a really beautiful um, spot to wrap it up for today. I want to thank you so much, Pastor Terry, for taking some time out of your really busy schedule to come and have a chat with us. Um, We're really excited for all of you to listen to this. So if you enjoyed it, please let us know. Put it uh, in the comments. um, Get in touch with us. We're excited to see what you thought of it. But as always, please rate, comment, subscribe to the podcast. um, And we can't wait to see you next week. Catch you later and always stay salty. Bye.